Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Friday, July 22nd, 2022. I'm John Podhoritz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Media commentary columnist Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And associate editor and author of The Rise of the New Puritans, Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. <clears throat> the president has COVID. Um, and uh, there is a heartening, to my mind, a heartening. So he's got COVID. He's vaxxed. He's boosted. He's got Paxlovid. Uh, you know, l- let's move on. He's got some symptoms. He'll be fine. Gee, wouldn't it be nice if everybody else in America had been treated this way over the last two and a half years, especially people under the age of 18 whose lives were um, disrupted, ruined, uh, emotionally damaged, and whose education was uh, interrupted in a way that may uh, be ir- irrecoverable. Uh, but that's okay, because uh, we have a we have a 3,000-year-old man in the Oval Office who will be totally fine, apparently. And it doesn't matter where he got it from. Let's move on, says Corrine Jean-Pierre, uh, a lovely person who is maybe the worst press secretary we have ever seen. And that's quite saying quite a lot. Um, They don't care where he got it. That's nice. It would be nice if uh, everybody else in America also got that same uh, kind of understanding rather than becoming the object of a, you know, who diseased you? Who will you disease? Well, or worse, being the object of the kind of surveillance. There were kids who used to have to scan QR codes on their phones about who they sat next to at lunch when they actually finally got back into the classroom. I'm I'm really wound up about this because the news came out right after I was reading in a Washington Post reporter glibly tweet, tweeting that she really was, you know, didn't care at all about who did what and who made the bad decisions about shuttering schools in particular, because we just have to move on. We got to do what's right by the kids now. Whereas I'm pretty much like, no, actually, we need to figure out who made the mistakes, who made the bad calls, so we don't repeat this mistake. And I think the same is true with the Biden administration. I wish him a speedy recovery. I'm very glad that he's doing well. But this idea that, oh, now it doesn't matter because the expert, you know, the the expert class uh, has it under control. No, that was the whole debate uh, at the beginning of this, throughout this. And they owe an explanation. They at least should hold themselves to the same standards of accountability as they demanded Americans. Hold your breath. <laughs> as far as I read that, I didn't listen to Karine. I read her the transcript of what she said, and she said essentially that we don't know how the president got it. Like it's it's going to be difficult to find out. And if you can't contact trace the president of the United States, you can't contact trace anyone in the country, which we've known for at least two years now. But at least they're acknowledging it. And you would think that yeah, this is like the Omicron wave, where all of a sudden everybody who did who followed the rules, who got their boosts got it anyway and said, okay, well, this isn't such a big deal. Now the world's oldest person who has 75 boosts got it and is going to be okay. And that should help guide this COVID hawkish mentality in the direction of something approaching sanity. You would think just to be consistent. The the contact tracing phenomenon was fascinating to me because it was, it was a failure from the get-go, but it was also like this, um, total uh desideratum it was the this is how south korea does it you see right from the start they 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 track down everyone they were this is the smart way to do it it's not lockdown it's not this but but as Noah suggests 
it's impossible to know where you got any virus from. <laughs> um, I mean, most viruses, I, I, would, I would think. Uh, if they're airborne, you cannot trace it back to an individual. You do not know. That's exactly right. I remember, I remember you know, laments about how the our conventions around privacy allow, you know, didn't ha- ensure that this country didn't have the proper CCTV networks and we couldn't trace your debit card use and the sort of stuff that would really give us the tools we need to track and isolate confection clusters. And if there's anybody infection. who you know exactly who they had contact with. clusters would be delicious. You say, in, <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, I need that's, a good confection That's one of those cluster. candies that you can only get in an airport in uh, Heathrow. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. But um, yeah, if you can't do that to the president, the person you actually know exactly where he goes at all times is is on camera at all those times. Has people around him tracing who he's having contact of with? Of course they with can do it. Of course they can do it. And here's here's the here's the uh, ultimate rub, which is this. Uh, there was a, a a novel and a movie made in the 1970s called "Who Is Killing the Great Chefs of Europe." Uh, which was about a serial killer who's going around, indeed, killing the great chefs of Europe. And there's a scene in the middle of the movie that's not a good movie. George Siegel was the star of it and Jacqueline Bissett. But there's a scene where uh, the great uh, French actor Lino Ventura, or maybe it's Philippe Noiret, the great French actor Philippe Noiret, sitting in a room with a bunch of other chefs, and they're all walking around saying, uh, "Who? We're, obviously, I'm going to be next, or I'm going to be next, or I'm going to be next. And then he says, gentlemen, the problem is... Would it be better to be killed or not to be killed? And it's the same thing here. Would it be better for Kamala Harris to be a significant uh, point of contact for the president prior to his getting COVID? A close contact? A close, I don't know what the what the phrase was that was being used. Or would it not, you see? Because if she, if it's like, no, no, Kamala, it's fine. It's fine. She didn't see him. She hasn't seen him in two weeks. They actually had to announce for her political sake that she was a close contact of the president. Otherwise, she's basically just sitting there being the person we think that she is. Do we actually believe that she is a close contact of the president? I don't know. Maybe she is. Maybe she isn't. But that's where it starts coming down. It's like now (laughs) you want to get COVID. Who doesn't want to get COVID from the president of the United States? If you're an assistant or deputy assistant to the president, your proximity to the president is your power. So now if you don't get COVID from him, yeah, you're not in the inner circle. That is the ultimate satirical truth of this moment is that this is the time that you desperately want to get COVID because it means that you were like hovering over the president's desk reading the climate emergency paper. Um, we should also emerg- mention, yes. when Donald Trump contracted COVID and when anyone in that White House did, the the coverage was quite different. It was all about how it's the Wild West there. They don't take any precautions. This is what happens when you don't take it seriously, when, you know, and on and on and on. 
It was very well, scolded. Was no- it was like they were covering a, a uh, it, it's like how the local news covers those, you know, uh, kind of falling down disrepair uh, uh, theme parks. You know, it's like, oh, look, you know, the, this rattling on the roller coaster. They, the, the whole tone was very, you know, oh, this is terrible. He's not wearing a mask. Look, here's the slow, remember all the slow motion footage of him like walking around without a mask? It was ridiculous. This is Biden's there first was case. No, there it, was right? no vaccine, to be fair. Yeah, right. <laughs> there was no right. treatment. Right. This is his first infection, right? First, as far first as case we of know. As far as we, we know, know, yes. But yeah. if it is his first, that's that alone is a feat. He's the last person on earth to get COVID. That's why he was all bunkered during the yeah, I mean it, you know, the strategy for his election campaign certainly worked in that in that regard. So uh, this of course does mean that everybody is gonna get COVID, uh, which is we already knew, but now this is a kind of it's like, you know, when the celebrity gets the disease and suddenly that, well, you know, when Tom Hanks got COVID and suddenly COVID was a world, you know, was a danger to the entire world. If the president gets COVID, everybody is going to get COVID. And it is long past time for there to be an acceptance of the idea that everybody is going to get COVID. Um, first of all, because everybody's going to get COVID. Uh, right now, I think the idea is that you're if you, you've either been and I think that they they do think we're at sort of herd immunity, not herd immunity, but herd getting it, right? Because I think either you're vaxxed or you've gotten it at 90, 95% of the population, it's thought, is one or the other. The problem with it is that, you know, you can get it again if it's a different variant, uh, because the variants exist to elude the antibodies or the mrna or whatever and so you you can't you can't get it again but it's weaker so you're and there's also this this has spurred um talk about the efficacy of further boosters um because biden's boosted and because the because the 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 thing is mutating um so much um and because the, the 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 boosters the efficacy seems to wane more quickly than 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 had been originally thought there there there's going to be and there is some rethinking about um how important it is to urge people to keep getting boosters well what we need is some actual data about what the what the risks are and that that we don't have in other words like you know if uh, i i've had four shots right so um is a fifth shot okay i mean it's like obviously uh, every year you get a flu shot uh people don't seem to get sick from the flu shot but i don't know the mrna shot is not like a flu shot it's a different it's a different animal and you know it's one thing to say we've done all this research and you know the first two shots are fine i mean if you end up getting three or four of these shots a year is there some problem and there's not enough data on that yet i mean i'm i'm very sanguine about these things in general um but you know and then of course the 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 anti-vax lunatics all you know construct and contrive these uh diseases uh that are supposedly caused by the vaccinations to make the case that you know you shouldn't get vaxxed at all and then you have the opposite thing on the covid lunatic front which is long covid right so now there is the already articles about what do we do if we have a president with long covid which of course could be the ultimate salvation 
of the Democratic Party or or the ultimate installation of our, you know, we had a we had a reality TV show president, right? In in uh Trump and now we will have Veep uh, come to life. We will have the actual fulfillment of a satirical uh portrait of Washington in the person of Selena, you know, Kamala Meyer or uh, Selena Harris, the 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 person who will take the place of long COVID Biden. So that's where we are there. Uh, let's move on to last night's uh, hearing, uh, the January 6th committee. Um, there are two questions always with these, with, with this hearing or with this entire proceedings. Number one, what did we find out that we didn't know? Uh, was the a- aggregation and agglomeration of the narrative that they tried to establish about what was going on on January 6th inside the White House and on Capitol Hill, was that narrative um, uh, authoritative enough to uh, reignite the feeling that the country had spun out of control and Trump was doing nothing to contain it? Or was this just a proceeding to, you know, hearten or anger or annoy or upset the people who already have made their conclusion that Trump was responsible for January 6th and deserves the opprobrium of history for it, or, you know, is somehow criminally liable for, for what happened. So let's go around and see what, 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 Abe, what, what did you think? Um, I think it's mostly, at least uh, last night, mostly about reinforcing uh people's uh feelings about the matter to begin with i mean look what certainly becomes clear you know in all of this as if it weren't already is that um every bit of this is damning on trump's conduct i mean he's he he has behaved despicably throughout all of it still behaves despicably regarding it i mean that that's the thing about this there's it can't quite be a revelation for, for that that he in this outtake from the from the from the video message that he gave the next day after after the after January 6th it's not so much of a revelation to me that he said well I don't want to say the that the election's over because he still doesn't say that the election's over so in the, you know in that sense we, we we sort of we sort of you know know what we have here and i think that that's mostly what I got from yesterday. I also want to say that um, it doesn't look like much of a conspiracy from this angle. It's a sort of a conspiracy of one, you know, uh, uh, because, you know, on the one hand you said, well, there was this conspiracy to, 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 to overturn the results. And on the other hand, you, you, the same people are saying everyone was telling him, that this has got to stop. Everyone was telling him that this that this couldn't that this was wrong. That uh, that 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 there was no evidence for there being a, 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 a conspiracy for for there being um, faulty results. So, I think it was you know essentially conspiracy of one, and you know a tiny handful of crazy lawyer advisor types who he listened to. 
That, can I, if I can jump in that, I think that's actually an important point because one of the things, and we've discussed it quite a bit on the podcast here, uh, is, is whether the, these hearings are going to prove that Trump kind of planned this out in advance. And I don't think they've made that case. They've shown that he was certainly amenable to these arguments and that, you know, pe- behind the scenes, lots of people are doing nefarious things to try to undermine the election. But what I think yesterday's, uh, testimony revealed is another way in which as commander in chief, he failed to do his job is a dereliction of duty argument. Because even if he didn't do a single thing to plan or encourage the riots, once they were underway, your job as president is to protect your people. It is the you are the commander in chief. If the Capitol was under attack from any other group, a terrorist group, another, you know, sort of group, um, some any sort of mob, we would look at this and say this. He just sat there and watched it on television. That is not he did not do his job. He had his military commanders calling him going some the Capitol's under attack. This is your job. And he did nothing. Just the passivity of that sitting there and doing nothing for that span of time means he is unfit for office. So that was what really struck me is that that's actually the more powerful argument this this uh, commission can make in some ways in terms of what an average voter might look at when they're thinking if he as he's likely to do announce another run for president to say he did not do his job the first time around. I mean, even if you don't believe the conspiracy stuff, he still didn't react in the way he should have. The other thing that I thought was unreal, really, was this, this, there's a sense in which him sitting there, the descriptions of him sitting there watching Fox News, not doing anything. I mean, this was our first reality TV show president, you know, there's been lots of analyses of what it means. But he was always the main character in his own TV drama, right? So this is a weird case where he's still the main character, but it's like he's the star actor watching that day, the dailies that he shot that day for a sitcom. And, you know, he's sitting in his chair, you know, off the set doing this. But he really was kind of offset watching something that he himself was the star of. So it was very unreal. I mean, there was a strange quality to those descriptions. Noah? Yeah, those of us who pay granular attention to this sort of thing probably knew some of these details, but they are not established for the record just because the New York Times reports it with two unsourced quotes. That's not the record. This has established the record. And we learned uh, rather definitively with a very granular timeline of what the president was affirmatively doing in those hours, not what he wasn't doing. We know what he wasn't doing, which was talking to law enforcement or calling the Pentagon or doing anything that the commander in chief should do. We didn't know what he was doing affirmatively, affirmatively which is watching television in the dining room and making telephone calls to political actors, his attorneys, um, some of whom were contacting law enforcement or not law enforcement, uh, members of Congress attempting to get them to halt the vote count, even as the Capitol was being ransacked and uh, the vice president was under uh, threat. Uh, Indeed, some of the things we learned involved, as, as Abe said, these raw videos we saw for the very first time outtakes of the president while the Capitol was under siege, talking about things like it was a landslide election. Everyone knows it, especially the other side. It was a fraudulent election the day after the election. It doesn't shock Abe, but it shocks me to the extent that the president would would on January 7th refuse to say that the election was over. Um, We learned the Pence's detail, his security detail was uh, afraid for their lives, according to an unnamed White House aide who gave testimony. Um, to the effect that people were calling their loved ones and saying goodbye, and they believed that they would have to fight for their lives and would likely be overwhelmed in that process. Uh, We did not know that. Um, We had Pottinger's testimony testifying to the extent that America's allies reached out to the White House to test the health of American democracy and the republic. Um, That's an extraordinarily worrying sign. You can only hand wave that off if you have no understanding of how uh, international relations are conducted and how alliances are formed and maintained. 
so all this stuff was new and relevant to me, not new, I guess, but relevant and certainly paints a, a picture that is especially damning of the president and the people around him. What we did not know and did not learn and what nobody seems to have any concern with is the fact that we had the chain of command mobilized in response to orders from somebody who is not within the chain of command. You got to explain what the military was called up. Law enforcement was called up, according to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Mark Milley and Mike Pensky, very forceful orders to the effect that the uh, that the United States military needed to mobilize to relieve the pressure on the Capitol building. Uh, The vice president is not inside the military's chain of command. He exists outside of it. Um, There's no constitutional mechanism for the powers that he usurped to devolve to him. Uh, So the United States military responded to orders from somebody they shouldn't have. Uh, in the abstract, now t- that had to happen. I'm not unhappy with that having happened. But let's think about this in theory. The United States military is now responding to people they shouldn't respond to. They're engaged in, in, in executing orders from somebody who has no authority to give those orders. If that can happen once, it can happen again. And maybe the circumstances won't be so auspicious next time. Look, that's a very, very important point. And there's other things that we don't know. For example, and this is where I don't want to talk about a conspiracy, but something happened that we don't know how, which is to say uh, there is no record of the president's phone traffic on January 6th. Well, phone yeah, is silent. Not, not in the White House logs, but right. they do have having a taken other people's phones and their phone records and actually gotten voice messages. They know that the president, people around him were making calls, just not on, on record. And most of them were political. That's one. Yeah. But we don't, but, but, but we know, we know that he made calls. We don't, we actually don't know to whom he made calls. We know, we know some of the people, we don't know all the people. That's number one. So it's not that he was just sitting in the dining room, watching TV, eating popcorn he was doing stuff. We know he talked to Rudy twice. Uh, what one of those calls was eight minutes long. Now it could have just been they were, you know, shooting the breeze, uh, marveling at the wonderful sight of the Capitol being breached. Not to interrupt, a, but we do have some moment. evidence that of what they were talking about because we have a voicemail from uh, Rudy Giuliani speaking to Senator Tuberville, Tuberville, right. Tuberville, uh, yeah. where he left a voicemail talking about exclusively and only not about the violence but about how you guys need to slow down this count so we can get you state legislatures can give you more information and all that nonsense so that suggests that's what they were communicating there's that and then of course there is this ongoing question or now ongoing question about what happened to the secret service phones and that um uh it was not in fact as we were told initially some kind of routine maintenance that had taken place where all of the Secret Service phones were set to a new thing. Apparently, it was 24 phones uh, very close to the White House and very close to Trump and that were reset to factory settings, which is not how you do an update of a phone. So clearly, there was a decision made by somebody to wipe the phones so that there would be no record of what happened on January 6th. That is likely criminal. And we're not going to hear the end of that. There will be a special prosecutor or or whatever. I'm not quite sure how the, how the process works. And IG, the IG has told the, the Secret IG. Service to stop investigating. Stop yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. And somebody is going to go to, now. Somebody is going to go to jail for this because they actually have no protection. They are not. There, there is no executive privilege that attaches to the behavior of 
employees of an agency outside the White House, even if they're detailed to the White House. Nothing attaches to this. They were not, I'm, I, I'm almost certain they were not allowed to do what they did and stuff will happen and somebody told them to do it or they decided to do it. I don't know how that happened. That doesn't mean that there was a conspiracy or Trump told them to do it. Somebody in the Secret Service High Command may have decided to do it to protect him or them or whatever. And and heads are people people are going to go to jail for this. I don't know when. I don't know how. I don't know what the circumstances are going to be. But it doesn't exactly constitute a conspiracy that Trump would have been knowingly involved in. But it does suggest that there was some support staff there that was aware that criminal activity had taken place that needed to be, or at least you know, politically embarrassing things that needed to be covered up. So I think that's now. We're pretty close to established on that. that if that's that... if that's your actionable thing, yeah, sure. But th- there's there's plenty of stuff that bursts MAGA bubbles that they'll just rationalize away, but shouldn't. Here's a fun anecdote from yesterday's hearings during testimony dep- deposition that Pat Cipollone was was giving uh, was giving rather. He was asked by um, Liz Cheney, you know, who wanted to send out a message, a very forceful message. To tell these people to go home right around two o'clock when things were getting really hot, Cipollone emphatically replies, "Everybody, nobody around us, every every member of the staff wanted wanted the statement, and he gave names: Meadows, uh, you know, half a dozen others. Um, he didn't hesitate at all. And then uh, Cheney asked, "So who didn't want them to go home?" And he he withdrew, and thought for a minute, and said, "Well, everybody on the staff," uh, and and. She's, and then Adam Schiff intervenes and says, what about the president? And Liz Cheney says, yeah, what about the president? And he paused and said, well, well, she said staff. So I answered. Paused again and said, well, what did the president say? And he looked to his counsel. And he said, well, I'm going to invoke him back to executive privilege. So it's a very cagey way of saying exactly what Cassidy Hutchison had said, which is when she was relating testimony, what she thought she heard to some effect, using her words, uh, from Mark Meadows, quote, he doesn't want to do anything, Pat, citing Mark Meadows, what Mark Meadows was telling to Pat Cipollone. He doesn't think they're doing anything wrong. Now, by the way, when I say that, you know, when I said at the beginning, and are there things that are nothing new? And Noah said, well, you know, this is a confirmation of reporting the New York Times. Almost everything that we heard or saw yesterday, with the exception of the rehearsal of the January 7th speech and a couple of other things. A a lot of it we knew in the immediate aftermath of what had happened on, on January 6th from reporting by Maggie Haberman and others that Trump had been sitting watching, that he was sitting in the dining room watching, that he, that he, it was around then that we heard the quote that has not been verified where he said something like, well, they care a lot more Apparently, these people care a lot more about our elections than you do. Can't remember who he said that to. Herrera. Uh, well, he said that to, uh, to Kevin, Kevin McCarthy, McCarthy. Right. To Kevin was McCarthy. Related right. by Representative yeah. Herrera Butler. Right. Right. That's right. Right. So uh, Representative Herrera Butler reported that on a phone call to her people or to somebody else that Ke- that that Trump had said this. So when I say it's nothing new, it's nothing new. But the, saying something is not new and we need to move forward is a classic political dodge by people who can't deal with embarrassing information. I just remember uh, Bill Clinton's first chief staff, Mac McClarty, going on morning shows 
And, you know, people may remember Clinton had a terrible first year. Just every week there was another blunder inside the White House, like self, self-inflicted self wound about, you know, don't ask, don't tell or whatever. And then McClarty would go on and they would say, well, you know, what, are, you know, can you explain what happened here? What, what What's the policy implications or something? He would say, what we all need, we just need to move forward. We got to move forward like that. So as those say, don't ask me. I can't. Don't. I. We. We need to move forward. I don't want to talk about this anymore. Um, and and so they there was there was in fact an organization devoted to that. Move on. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But I mean, so I think laying out the laying out the circumstances of what happened because it is a year and a half later. Uh, and people don't follow granularly like we do, um, is a valuable thing. And I, I confess, you know, I'm more, I'm, I, you know, I'm 61 years old. I've seen a lot of stuff, but every time uh, the thing that got me, cause it was about an hour in and I was like getting a little bored. Like, I don't need to hear Kong, even if though the speeches were, were well presented and everybody was reading off teleprompter. So, they didn't sound stupid and all of that. I was getting a little bored with the congressional performative stuff, though I like uh, Elaine Luria, a nice Jewish girl from Birmingham, Alabama, um, whose mother was like president of Adasta and you know went into the Navy at seven, went into to the Naval Academy at seventeen and served active duty for twenty years. That's my kind of Democratic congressman, lover, and I liked the way she presented herself. Um, but I was getting bored because there was a lot of speechifying. And then every now and then they would sort of turn to the witness, the two witnesses, uh, Matt Pottinger of the NSC and Sarah Matthews of the press office. And then they were like Lindsey Buckingham in the what's up with that sketch, Bill Hader playing Lindsey Buckingham in the what's up with that sketch on SNL, where Lindsey Buckingham is on every single episode of what's up with that. And the host played by Keenan Thompson never lets him speak. And he's not literally 10 sketches and he just sits there. And then at the end, you know, the host goes, Lindsay, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry to get to you again. And then Buckingham like is scowling and then he smiles and then he's going to be back on the next episode, unable to speak. That's sort of like what it was like for Pottinger and Matthews who were just sitting there like potted plants while these speeches were being made. But then came the moment when they showed the secret service footage inside the vice, the area in the Capitol where the vice president was and uh, and what was going on simultaneously outside and on the second floor hallway and how they were five, the protesters who granted weren't necessarily going to get access, but they were like five or 10 feet away from the door. And that was when you got this information about the secret service contacting uh fellows saying you know in case something happens tell my loved ones that i love them because they didn't know it was on the other side of the door they didn't know whether people had rpgs or whatever um odd and thing. the noise huh just another odd thing that i'm recalling is they're focusing on this 187 minutes which is roughly when the the breach occurred at the capitol and when the president uh, delivered this video messages put those video messages you know you're lovely people but go home whatever um, but that wasn't the end of the violence. I don't know why they're focusing. And indeed, even they made this point 
um, that the violence continued for another hour or so before the National Guard was finally deployed. And they were, Congress was having conversations with the acting defense secretary and the extent to which they could clear the building, how long it would take, what have you. Um, and then they made this point, uh, Loria made this point that they had played testimony and deposition from uh, Eric Hirschman, who's a White House lawyer, who said after that video was made, everybody was emotionally spent and they just kind of all dispersed. The day was over, he um, said. The day was over, but it was not over. The violence continued. The violence was ongoing. In fact, they were playing simultaneous as the, as the, the emotional spent, you know, their, their emotional bandwidth was completely, you know, draw, with, withdrawn. They were showing how this, the Capitol was under siege and there was violence and police officers were being attacked in savage, animalistic ways. Um, so they even they make the case that this, it wasn't 187 minutes. Maybe it's a... A silly case to make or no no they had it there's a reason because they have a narrative their narrative is trump summoned the crowd trump directed the crowd the crowd was activated and then when trump said go home they went home that 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 is a ne- the necessary conclusion to the line that trump was the author of right. the riot they played about three or and four was, clips to support they, that yeah. case yeah, yeah, they they played clips of people on the uh, you know in front of the building watching Trump's. They played a clip of uh, you know protesters or whatever insurrectionists watching the footage, watching him on the iPhone saying he says go home. And then they had Q Shaman, the guy who is now I guess in prison, on a bullhorn saying Donald Trump wants you to go home, which I thought was pretty striking because it's like you would think he would be the most bloodthirsty of them all saying, you know, we're going to, we're going to continue doing what we're doing. So that's, I think why they, I mean, doesn't that suggest that they do have a point there about the extent to which they were directed and withdrawn by the president? Yes. But I would say you asked the question of why they, why they were, why they were focusing on the 187 minutes. And the idea was that whatever was going on essentially came to an end the minute that Trump said, go home. And that meant that he had activated them and that he had the, and that at any moment in the course of those 187 minutes, as they said, he could have walked the 60 seconds from the dining room to the briefing room and said, go home. And they would have gone home. Um, that's, you know, that's, that's a, that's, that's the most necessary element that he had the power to stop the ride at any time. And he did not use it because he was theoretically enjoying it or liked it or wanted it to happen. And that is where his ultimate moral culpability takes place. But I, I wanted to get back to the scene that they showed of what was going on in Pence's office and the communications between there was a woman outside, maybe at a front desk or something, talking to the Secret Service inside and saying there are five or six of them. There are a couple of guards and you could see the footage of them in the hallway. And then more and more of them of the of the insurrectionists came up the hallway. Um, and then there was some kind of an incendiary. Something happened where something was set off. And that, by the way, this is an important point because, and no one really made this point, but we've been having this conversation as people have been, have, have sort of backed off and said, yeah, you know, they, what, what is all this? They didn't kill any of the secrets. So they all died of natural causes. They didn't really do anything to the secret, to, to the Capitol police and they didn't have weapons and it's all nonsense. And somebody had bear spray. Three or four times in that footage, and I don't remember seeing this before, but then I just may be addled. Incendiary smoke or tear gas devices were set off, and there are people on megaphones saying, put on your gas masks to the crowd, not to the Capitol Police, 
because they were going to set off devices to, you know, to, you know, impede or sicken the Capitol police officers. Um, so if that's not an insurrection, I, I don't really know what is an insurrection. Insurrection <laughs> doesn't have to be, you know, like a, you know, like Caesar coming into Rome to 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 storm and take the Senate with the entire, you know, with the entire military that he brought up from Gaul, uh, to you know to, to cross the Rubicon and take and take the capital. Like it can be several hundred people. That's what the October Revolution was in Russia. It wasn't like tens of thousands of people. Um, you know, it's no joke. Like there was disgusting stuff going on, and it's worth being reminded of that because I myself, after you know, eighteen months, I'm like. Was it really that bad? You know, there's part of it. It's like, oh, come on, stop talking in this hysterical way about how our democracy was under siege. Like, enough already, please. Like, have a little, you know, and then I think about the Easter uprising in 1916 in Ireland or the October Revolution in 1917. And again, it's not like there were hundreds of thousands of people storming these, but that's not what these scenes are. It's something no, and, there were, and there were plans that we've seen because they've been entered into evidence in the trials of the Proud Boys that they had maps of Washington, D.C., power centers that they wanted to seize. They lost. They lacked the manpower to do it. But there was a plan in place to seize and capture the power centers in Washington. And they, we had previous testimony from uh, earlier uh, January 6th hearings that the president was informed of the presence of weapons in the crowd, that the uh, Secret Service was aware of that, and that he wanted the mags removed. We didn't actually have evidence to that effect, except for yesterday, where we heard traffic uh, talking about weapons in the crowd. Sergeant, uh, D.C. Metro Sergeant Mark Robinson testifying that, uh, quote, there were individuals on Constitution Avenue that were armed, you know, people in the trees, these people are crazy. There were pipe um, bombs. Don't forget the pipe bombs. Forgot about the pipe bombs, RNC which is a real Those mystery. are still unsolved. Well, that was right. Yeah. That was the night before, right? right. Those were but still, it, it does before. suggest yeah. some kind of planning right. now, to kind of and make this individual, this unnamed individual, quote: "We all knew what that implicated and what that meant, meaning the traffic that everybody in law enforcement was privy to about weapons in this crowd." Quote: "That this was no longer a rally. That this was going to move to something else if he physically walked into the Capitol." Talking about the president himself. Um, so had the president been on site at the Capitol as he wanted to, history would have changed dramatically. I mean, in the end, you can look at this and say, well, there's no way that it was actually there. There was no there was no succeeding here. The plan, whatever it was, was a cockamamie, ludicrous plan. But. That doesn't matter, because what could have happened was a lot more people could have gotten hurt. Members of Congress or the Senate could have been taken hostage like that's the point it's not like because of this trump would have remained in power there was no way that trump was going to remain in power including by the way if mike pence had you know decided to hear a you know alternate slate of electors or something like that because then the supreme court would have gone into emergency session and said this is an illegitimate you know, this is this this violates the you know the the free and fair elections clause of the Constitution, and and that would have been the end of that. Uh, would have said that it you know vi- it also violated the they could all have been arrested. It doesn't matter, but but the point is that a lot more damage and destruction could have been done because in because the people that Trump was using weren't you know when you read things about coups, coups that are successful are conducted by 
paramilitary forces that are actually military, right? They, they are members of their own military who come out and they they know how to do things in military formation. They know how to do a lot of damage in a short period of time. They know how to enter, breach things, secure areas, move on, all of that. And these are just, you know, cosplayers, the Oath Keepers, the Proud Boys, and whoever else was in the crowd. These are cosplayers and they were cosplaying in the, this was like Dungeons and Dragons, but in the real world with, with, with weapons. And it's, you know, we saw something that we've never seen in our lifetimes um, ever. And, and I, I was just reminded in that footage of being in the building where Pence was and just hearing the noise in the hallway. I mean, imagine that what you're hearing is this, these people screaming and yelling, you know, uh, in the hallway, and you you don't know how many of them. And it's a if you've ever been in the Capitol, you know the ceilings are thirty feet high, and the echo is astonishing. And it's you know it's not it's not soundproofed, and you know that sound must have been wildly amplified, and it would have been absolutely terrifying to any rational person to be list to be hearing that and then they had that other piece of footage inside the senate gallery where people are up in the in the uh on the second level uh and they're like they're coming in everybody get down like these are people just sitting observing the count and you know like some woman and you see her getting on her knees hiding behind the chairs in our capital in the U.S. Capitol, and he liked it. Trump liked it. He was happy. This made him happy. That's all you need to know is it made him happy. I don't know what, I mean, you know, if all that, uh, all that we've established is not only didn't he do anything, but if we could establish that he was happy, which we don't know, but it's certainly that's what it feels like, particularly from that conversation with McCarthy. What else do you need to know? Um. Can I, this can is I all add heresy. The, no, the, right, the hearsay, the hearsay typo. Well, this is also in the context of some rumors we've been hearing that that Trump is considering giving an interview to New York Magazine. He's considering announcing his he's going to run again before the midterm elections to kind of shake things up. Um, that would, you know, if he's going to do it, let him announce it with this fresh in everyone's mind. He is a dishonorable human being there, even if he's never criminally indicted, even if he's never convicted. The, the dishonor he's brought to the office of the presidency would hopefully be enough to to persuade at least his rivals not to get out of the game. I know a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, DeSantis doesn't want to be the next Marco Rubio or the next Ted Cruz. But actually, the, the it, times have changed. I, I hope I have a lot of faith in the American people that times have changed. If anything, they're just sick of the drama. I mean, we've talked about this over and over on the podcast, but at, coming out of a pandemic, dealing with a lot of the kind of uh, kitchen table issues that everyone's dealing with, why would you bring that that? drama back why um i mean trump will likely run but the idea that he would announce uh, after all of this uh committee stuff and the committee is going to continue its work in september seems unwise uh there is a battleground poll <clears throat> done by uh biden's pollster uh john anzalone and tony fabrizio the republican for aarp and it's a it's a poll of battleground districts you know that are actually in contention uh, the poll is absolutely horrific for Biden and the Democrats. Horrific. I think his Biden's approval rating is at 31. Republicans are up 
eight, I think, in this in this poll, just in the districts where where they're running, you know, where where they're actually contested races and it's not clear who who might win. And uh, Trump uh, has a higher favorability rating than Biden. Trump is like 49, 47 favorable in these districts. And Biden, I think, is like 36, 49. I don't know, something like that. So why wouldn't he run again? Just to get, you know, just uh by the way, this also gives the lie to the idea. A poll like this, however you want to look at it, says, why would it be a drag to have Trump in the race? He's 10 points he's 10 points more popular in, in these numbers than, than, than Biden is and Biden Biden's there. Maybe he'd help. I don't know. I just, you know, just trying to keep it real. Let me just find these numbers. So I don't, I've been like blathering, but but we've seen other polls that have put Trump up against other Republican rivals. And those numbers aren't as good for Trump, even among, you know, likely uh, Republican voters. I mean, there is, there is, if not a hunger, at least a kind of uh, fatigue, Trump fatigue, even among people who support, have supported Trump in the past. And I can't imagine that if they're given a viable alternative and someone like DeSantis has already raised a ton of money is a viable alternative. If they're given a viable alternative that checks at least part of their boxes, again, why would you bring that back? Why would you bring back the chaos, the disorder, and the drama? Well, it's all about him, right? They wouldn't bring it back. If he ran, he would be presenting himself as an option. Then the question is, what do Republican voters do with all of that? The question is, what does DeSantis do or anybody else do? The whole point of announcing now would be to freeze the race. Right. And and annoy every single Republican office holder and office seeker in the country to right. a profound degree. Though he well, no, every every Republican office seeker who who isn't part of the cult, and there are hundreds and hundreds of them who are part of the cult. I mean, you know, at least a hundred members of Congress who not one of them, even the most MAGA among them, wants to make their race a referendum on Donald Trump's administration in the year twenty twenty two. Depends on. I think if you live in here's here's the numbers. ARP poll by Fabrizio Anzalone of the 56 most competitive house districts. R plus four on the generic. This, by the way, comes at the same time as a national poll by Echelon Insights that has Democrats, and this poll seems to be an outlier, but it's worth mentioning, has Democrats up seven on the generic ballot. The generic ballot is if the election were held today, would you vote for a Democrat or Republican? That's the generic ballot. But this is in districts that are competitive only, not nationally. So it's it's ours plus four. Uh, Dems with just a five-point lead among Hispanics and a three-point lead with Asian Americans. Remember, those are numbers that classically in an election are two-thirds uh, you know, Asians and Hispanics go two thirds or more for 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 Democrats. Biden, thirty seven percent approved, sixty one percent disapproved. Trump, fifty percent approved, forty nine disapproved. So, if you're if you're a candidate in that district, are you happier? Do you want? And Trump declares that he's going to run for president, and Biden is a sitting president. You're the Republican in one of those districts. Are you hurt? Uh, you might be. 
because you might be. we no I'm longer not get set, to talk I, about I the issue set. The, I don't have an answer. The but. issue set favors Republicans now because it's a referendum, up or down referendum on the White House and unified Republican, unified Democratic governance in Washington. That goes away once Trump announces. Then it becomes you have to go on the record, up or down on on Trump, and that that's just not part of the issue set that advan- advantages Republicans presently. Um, so that that goes to the question of what the purpose of the hearings is and whether the hearings as they have been conducted are you know serve the purposes of the people who are conducting them but before we get to that i really should uh talk to you guys about bolin branch sheets because let's face it you know what matters with sheets what do you want your sheets to be you want them to be soft you want them to be breathable you want them to have that buttery feeling you know how you get that thread quality Every time you go to the store, you look, it says thread count, it's 300, 500, 1,000 thread count. But as Bolin Brand Sheets tells you, it's not the count that matters. It is the quality of the threads that matters. And that is what you get from Bolin Branch, the highest quality threads on the market. It doesn't matter how many threads your sheets have. They aren't the best threads, okay? And they they... These sheets are made with threads so luxurious. They're beloved by three U.S. presidents, feel buttery to the touch, are super breathable, 100% organic cotton threads for superior softness and a better night's sleep. Over 10,000 stellar reviews. Bolin Branch Signature Sheets come in nine neutral colors and all sizes from Twin up to California King. You'll immediately feel the difference of their iconic signature sheets. They're 100% free from toxins, meaning no pesticides, formaldehyde, or other harsh chemicals. Bowl and branch sheets for the deepest of mattresses and are labeled with top and bottom tags, so making your bed is easier than ever. Best of all, Bowl and Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping and returns on all orders. The annual summer event is starting soon, but Bowl and Branch is giving my listeners exclusive early access before anyone else to 20% off with promo code commentary at bowlandbranch.com. This is their best offer of the year before the holidays, so act now. That's Bowl and Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H.com, promo code commentary for 20% off. And of course, we have the gyrations. In the stock market this week, driving everybody crazy, I made the mistake, as I told my colleagues here, of opening my 401k statement (laughs) uh, for the first six months of the year. Not good. It's not a a happy moment. I knew it was going to be unhappy. I didn't know how unhappy I was going to be. Of course, the market ebbs and flows and goes up and down, and you can't take any one snapshot as anything. But I am reminded that uh, what we are looking at here is bad policy made manifest in the beha- the macro behavior of our economy and where could i go to figure out how best to understand where our economy is where it could go what an economy is for how it functions what it's under what its basics are what its philosophical underpin- un- underpinnings are that biden and others have forgotten and have led to this pass and that's where i turn to david bonson's book there's no free lunch, 250 economic truths, an economic primer par excellence, a daily, I wouldn't call it a devotional because that's a little uh, heretical, heresy being a word of the day because of the tweet of House Republicans, uh, the House Republican caucus last night saying this is all heresy, uh, which was up for like 10 minutes and then they retweeted it and said this is all hearsay, but I don't want to be heretical and call a book about 
uh, a book about the economy, a daily devotional, but it's structured to have a, a topic a day with uh, a quote, a great quote, and an explanation of a macroeconomic concept or an idea that helps understand human flourishing, liberty, faith, and the interworkings thereof. That's David Bonson's book. David runs an investment firm with $3.5 billion under management, so he knows where he speaks. People put his money where his mouth is, put their money where his mouth is, so you can trust that he has uh, a really um, syncretic understanding of how all this works. That's There's no free lunch. David Bonson, B-A-H-N-S-E-N. Get it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you get your fine books. Um, what did we think of the performative aspect of the hearing? <clears throat> Um, because it was a lot of, it basically, like I said, the, the witnesses were there like Lindsay Buckingham, and then you had Luria giving speeches, you had Adam Kinziger giving speeches, you had Liz Cheney giving speeches. Luria and Kinziger together, chosen Democrat and Republican, because they were members of our military, right, and had sworn an oath, not only as members of Congress to uphold the Constitution, but swear an oath as people who defend and protect our country and put their lives on the line to do so, swear an oath to the Constitution. Just as Trump swears an oath to the Constitution, the only, the the presidential oath to preserve, defect, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States of America is in the Constitution itself. Every president has said it since 1791. Uh, and that he was derelict, at, at the very least, in not performing his, you know, constitutional duty. But was it good? I mean, at the end, they they both gave these kind of like you know Atticus Finch, uh, you know, heart, you know heartfelt closing statements, uh, Kinzinger and Luria, and then Liz Cheney. Um, but was was that effective, or was it just you know like people you know yammering at the screen that nobody knows? I mean, I think I think letting the, the 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 testimony speak for itself is is the better approach here, um, because it brings viewers up to to their own conclusions about it. Um, and when then when you sort of tag on a little bit of editorializing or or um, sort of characterizing, um, it that's that would be the only point at which you would you know uh looking on would 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 sort of become uh i don't know suspicious or like you know i don't need you to tell me what i just saw i i i saw it but but generally speaking i i i think it was actually fine there have been some theatrics that i could do without um liz cheney whose performance i think has been very good very admirable she is martyring herself for this cause which i think is quite noble because it's a cause that's worth martyring yourself for nevertheless she did she's kind of push buttons that i think are unnecessary for example earlier on in the hearing where they played this testimony of or these these uh, committees playing this testimony of flynn mike flynn taking the fifth when you know he was just asked whether he would uphold the oath of office that he that he uh pledged um and that's dirty pool in my view because you take the fifth for everything or you take it for nothing and that selectiveness was a way to manipulate the audience. Likewise, during this closing statement yesterday, she, you know, praised uh, Sarah Matthews, who was testifying last night, and Cassidy Hutchinson earlier for having the courage. You know, these are young women who are going to incur uh, the wrath of the of 
Team MAGA and are being slandered by House Republicans using their official organs to do that. Um, and that's also very brave. But she goes about saying, you know, they're braver than these 50, 60, 70 year old men who are hiding behind executive privilege. Now, they are to a certain degree, but let's not impugn executive privilege. There's a reason why that exists, why you're not supposed to be privy to the private conversations of the president uh, under, you can't, under oath so that you can reveal the secrets of the executive branch that you, you are not supposed to know and not be privy to. Um, you know, the fifth exists for a reason, and it's not to imply guilt. Executive privilege exists for a reason, and it's not to shield people from the consequences of their actions. And to imply otherwise is irresponsible. Yeah, there's a it, there's been a strange there's always been a tension with these hearings, right? Because they're kind of an amalgam at times of, you know, a, a reality television show and scripted and sort of uh, you know, there was a very real effort you know, of TV producers doing this to make it seem like a TV show, um, which can undermine some credibility at times. I think it does, as Noah says, occasionally to sensationalism, um, but it's also at times like a trial. So I read their statements last night is like what the what the lawyers say at the end of a, a jury trial. Right. They're speaking to the jury of the American people who are watching this and saying, here, here's our closing argument. And so it's a little more sanctimonious. Yes. Um, justifiably so, I think, in, in, in this case. But that does uh, have the risk of not having people see it as just a fact-finding mission, which is also something they've claimed for themselves. They're going to draw up a report. So it kind of wants to be everything at once. And I think it risks at times alienating Americans who might want to want just the facts, as Abe noted, and feel like they're being preached at a little bit and told what to believe about the facts versus being able to assess them. And that's why I hope whatever report they turn out is something that that uh, will allow people a, a way in that's not the televised spectacle. It's just so hard to tell. I, I, you know, one of the things I think Noah, Noah's point is so important because these things like executive privilege exist for a reason. The executive branch does not work for the legislative branch. It is not subordinate to the legislative branch. Just as a president can't, you know, force a congressman to tell him what he said to his aide, uh, Congress can't force the president and his aides to reveal the nature of their conversations. They are co-equals in power. Um, and yes, so then there are these moments that are politically embarrassing where people take executive privilege or use the, use the fifth amendment for whatever reason they might use the fifth amendment. You're not, so it's not supposed to Im imply guilt. Although there is a long tradition of using the fifth to imply, to imply guilt uh donald trump is very guilty of that yeah. just about any, yeah. he, on the stump you know talks about how oh, he pled, pled the fifth you know what that means yeah um but i think it's also there's a lot of talk about how where's pence why isn't pence testifying right well pence isn't testifying pence shouldn't testify in that sense again because the executive branch is not subordinate to the legislative branch, if Pence wanted to make a record, wanted to unburden himself of what happened and everything that went on, he could do that just by giving a speech or giving an interview or writing a piece or doing something like that. I would publish such a piece if he wished to submit it to commentary. Um, it is not necessary for him to be cross-examined. Uh, as the former vice president of the United States, he does not work for the for the legislative branch. But more generally, uh, there has been this tone abroad in the land about the people who have testified, which is 
oh, now, now they want to cleanse themselves. You know, Sarah Matthews said it was a privilege to work in the White House in a tweet on the 20th of uh, January after she had resigned. Oh, so then she's like, she's uh, hedging her bets or Cassie Hodgson was looking for money to help her defray her legal costs. Oh, then she wanted money. Now she's this, that. Uh, don't think these people are heroes. They're just saving their own skins. And similarly, anybody who went to work in the Trump administration was compromised. They were compromised because they should have known he was an evil moron, a terrible person. And so they were just providing him cover. And this is where we get to this, where everything is so disgustingly performative. So would you rather... This is always the question. I don't think I could have worked for Trump. But my brother-in-law, Elliot Abrams, did work for Trump. Why? Because he's a public servant, and that's what he does, and that's what his his purpose in life is, is to serve the, you know, to serve the United States in its government in whatever way he can he can best serve it. And hundreds and thousands of other people are the same. And it's actually quite selfless. They're not doing it for fame or power or anything like that. They're working long, hard hours and doing this. And the, one of the reasons that Trump is a disreputable and awful person is that he made these people's lives extraordinarily difficult by his personal behavior and conduct. So should you resign because of Charlottesville? Well, maybe you should and maybe you shouldn't resign because of Charlottesville. But then who's going to come in after you? We've already seen what happened when, you know, when uh, when people left the Defense Department. Or people left, you know, the attorney general, when Bill Barr uh, left the, you know, left the Justice Department. So Trump really wanted to, you know, there was a point at which Trump really wanted to appoint this guy who would have been a January, who would have told him that it was okay to do whatever he wanted to do on January 6th. The guy at defense who, you know, wanted the two guys at defense who wanted to, you know, like do whatever he wanted to do, that kind of thing. Is that what you want? Sometimes well, I think the, it, sometimes the choices are bad and people make the best of the bad choices and sacrifice themselves because their conscience is one thing and so is the needs of the country that may outweigh their they're like I can't stand this. This is making me sick, but I I what's going to come after me? No, but I, I think something we've seen throughout the 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 committee hearings is that Thank God there were sensible people sort of st- swooping in, stepping in at every point saying, what are you talking about? You can't do this. This is crazy. Um, that's that's something we should be thankful for. Yeah. I mean, think about Eric Hirschman. Like Eric Hirschman, I think, is the one who said, you know, when there's an oil spill, Jeffrey Clark, you know, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. When there's an oil spill, we'll get back to you. Until Until then, shut up. Like, as opposed to, that's interesting. You mean we could actually have an alternate slate of electorate, like having kind of a Talmudic discussion of this, you know, psychotic, uh, you know, hunger on Trump's part for whatever, you know, to sort of, you know, this is the odd part is it's not even like he wants to be president. Let's get, let, let's get down to brass tacks. Does he want to be president? Is he in there to affect policy change or change the country? to make the country better. No, he wants to be president because he doesn't want to lose. He didn't want to, lo- he got something, he got there and he didn't want to lose it because he's, that would make him a loser. 
And because he likes, you know, sitting, eating his hamburger in the dining room, watching TV in, you know, in the in the most in the in the most important residence on Earth. Doesn't even want to be president. He never wanted to be president. It was never about what it is to be president. You know, that doesn't mean that great policy wasn't affected there, particularly the Abraham Accords. And I think some of the tax policies. But I'm just saying that in the end, <clears throat> he wants to play president. And there were people who went into the administration to keep America running to the extent that they could. And the idea that, that you know, Stuart Stevens and others who have decided to make their grift, you know, playing the moral hi-hat while they collect tens of millions of dollars of Democratic money to stand around tweeting about how terrible Republicans are now that they can no longer make tens of millions of dollars a year in election years uh, boosting Republican candidates. Like, let's see what sacrifices, you know, I mean, at the beginning when he went at the party leadership, that was fine. But I mean, going around saying nobody should ever work in the administration again, as Abe says, like, you want Pat Cipollone there. You don't want to drive him out. Because, yeah, if Trump wins again in 2025, you think Sidney Powell isn't going to be White House counsel? Or somebody like that? I mean, that's the other horror of thinking about Trump getting back and installing as president is there is now an entire level of uh, a person in the United States who will not be allowed to work in the new Trump administration because they will not have paid obeisance to the idea that the election in 2020 was stolen. Yeah, it will only be loyalists. Uh, that that will be a certainty. After all this. Yeah. They, Axios just had a story recently. I think it was Axios about how, uh, you know, Trump's already laying plans for kind of, you know, absolutely obliterating a whole level of civil servants so that he can remake federal government, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, every president who comes in does a version of cleaning house. So I do think it was a slightly alarmist tone, but th- there were concerns with Trump. You know, Trump did have some good people who worked for him at the beginning, but the idea that this would be a B team would be optimistic if he came in again. I mean, we're talking, you know, D E F for flunky team. There are a lot of smart conservatives I know who would no, not go near this administration, not just because of the disaster of the first one, but simply because how would they get anything done if it was just him spending four years gloating about how he's proven 2020 was stolen? Yeah, that was Jonathan Swan. Uh, and he, in that piece, which is 7,500 words long, talked about how even Ivanka and Jared are off the, off the train. They're, they're just done with this whole project. Which makes it seem like work. I mean, kind of wonder whether Donald Trump will engage in that kind of work. But briefly to your point, John, this is something that has been, you know, where good men stand up. I mean, this is something that's been rattling around my head since I was compelled recently to reread Abraham Lincoln's address to the Young Man's Lyceum, 1837, something along those lines, where he very famously, you know, it's it's very often quoted, uh, if destruction be our lot, we must ourselves be its authors. And um he outlines the extent to which ambitious men will test uh, test the parameters of the of American institutions, and if if the public is alienated from those institutions, they will not stand up to them. But he also describes what would prevent that kind of usurpation. Um, it is unreasonable then to expect that some men possessed of the loftiest genius, coupled with ambition sufficient 
to push it to its utmost stretch will at some time spring up among us. And when such a one does, it will require the people to be united with each other, attached to the government and laws, and generally intelligent to successfully frustrate his designs. That is exactly what happened. He right. predicted it. And it occurred as he predicted. An ambitious man threatened the system, and many more loyal men stood up in his way. And I'm afraid that the the most paranoid reading of what goes on now with Trump uh, in 2024 and beyond, let's say, the most paranoid kind of, you know, Atlantic uh, people who believe that Russia was taking, you know, had elected Trump and all of that. But this general reading that um, having had a failed dress rehearsal for the uh for how to contest a presidential election, a close presidential election, which this which this was, even though Biden won by seven million votes, since there were three states turned the other way, could have could have changed the results. Um, that uh, lessons are to be learned from the failure. Uh, that you could, you know, basically uh, have everything at the ready to really challenge. Clearly, this was a stumble bum effort from November until January. You know, when Rudy was calling Tommy Tuberville to say, we're, we're trying to get the electors to the Capitol, like they weren't there. So what the hell is he talking? You know, he was drunk. There was makeup running down the side of his face. He was tripping sideways in a hallway. Who knows what Rudy was doing? You know, this total degeneration of a, you know, of a once formidable uh, person into a, into a clownish, destructive, um, third rate, barbaric idiot. Um, but, you know, there there was no modality for. By the way, that's the joke of all this: is there was no modality for Pence to contest the election. If Pence had said, "I'm not accepting the Alabama ballots," where were the Alabama electors? Were they present in the in the chamber to say that those ballots are wrong and you have to count ours? It's supposed to be done on that day. They had to be there, and for it, they hadn't done the work. They hadn't set it up. They hadn't done it properly. But next time they can do it properly, having seen how they screwed it up the first time. That's not a joke. Like, you know, it's one thing I think that, you know, the Russiagate was a hoax, but this threat is not a hoax. It really isn't. You know, you learn from your mistakes and you, you know, it's like a classic thing in politics in 2018. The Democrats figured out how to run up vote totals in California with this sort of third party, whatever it was called, ballot harvesting. And Republicans were caught flat footed and they ended up winning a whole bunch of seats in California and getting to a 40 seat you know, margin of victory in the 2018 elections. But they could only do it once because then the Republicans were onto them and they saw how it was done. And then Republicans did it, too. So the ballot harvesting success was essentially interrupted by by Repub by you know uh you know you get a gimmick and then someone else learns how to hit the curveball and then they know how to how to play you and that's exactly what 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 might happen here and that is a that is something that rational people who don't like conspiratorial thinking and all this like us still have to take account of as a real realistic possibility and i think that's pretty much present in trump's character and we see it in his behavior you know even today See, I, I think there's a I think the more likely threat is is in some sense the opposite, which is that um, 
should should we see circumstances that that would inspire some sort of repeated attempt to to undermine the election like this um i think it would be actually simply more reckless more violent um not particularly um thought out i mean maybe, maybe you know thought out but 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 i don't think particularly clever at all i think i think it would just be a sort of a all out mass assault um because it's become thinkable uh, at least on on the scale that we've seen it already but there could be two levels in other words what you're saying is there could actually be <clears throat> armed confrontations of the sort that in the worst possible imagining right. what could happen in the next 10 years yeah i don't think and there be, was actually be... some form of street civil war between democrats and republicans in some fashion something like that I mean, I wouldn't say civil war, but I, I mean, I think there would be well, there could be, could be some right large scale violent attempt to do this. Right. It, it won't be right. it won't be uh, I, I don't I don't see the sort of legal uh, legal legal geniuses getting to work and, and figuring it out. I, I don't know. I mean, I just think you can you can you can. That's one of the reasons why they wanted to pass this revision of the Electoral Count Act is to sort of like forestall is to make whatever was the status quo in 2020 no longer the status quo. So that, uh, you know, at least you, you, you couldn't somehow use, you couldn't spend two years studying the Electoral Count Act of 1887 in order to come up with the, the, the toy, let's challenge the results of the election thing, because the rules would be too new and too confusing. I don't know. Anyhow, that's my, that's my uh, thrilling uh, conclusion that, um, that the, that the, leftist conspiracy conspiracy theory people are 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 right for once or mentioning something important for once and if you want to close your eyes to that you can i probably really wouldn't if i were you uh we will be back on monday have a wonderful weekend for abe christina no i'm john pop keep the candle burning